Hey, everybody. On today's episode, I'm joined by Gabe Horstick. He's a Chicago real estate investor. He's been on the podcast before, and we're going to dig in to what makes sense in the Chicago apartment market. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, always good to catch up. I wish I saw more of you other than just being on your podcast every 12 months, but uh, here we are, so let's do this. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on, okay, Appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Course, Maybe um, in the meantime, we could do something besides the podcast next time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just recently took up golf and, um, you know, been drinking a lot of wine. So Yeah, you know, that's good. Take take your pick. We'll, we'll do something. But uh, anyways, thanks for having me and just fun to talk and, you know, consider you a very good friend and someone I really look up to. And it's nice to exchange ideas with, with people you like and respect. Yeah, likewise. So, no, I appreciate having you on. I think uh, for those of you that might be new to the podcast, like Gabe was on on episode seven and we went for like an hour basically through his like like career up to that point. And then he had a lot of really good lessons, things we clipped up and made where a lot of lessons for the young bucks out there. Um, so definitely, if you haven't checked out episode seven, you should. And then but we're going to skip over to kind of how we got to, to this point, though. Like if you want to know how Gabe got started, um, mm -hmm. check out that episode, I'd say. But then so what uh, what kind of stuff are you working on these days? Well, uh, working on a lot of different things, um, you know, I think as we were talking about earlier, uh, before we started, just needing to look at things a little bit differently to make deals work, being a little more scrappy to find opportunity. Um, you know, something that I've been doing a lot of over the last 18 months was taking advantage of some of the new zoning ordinances. So specifically, you're aware there's been an ordinance that was passed well over probably 24 months ago now where you can add apartments to existing buildings in certain designated areas. They're called accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs. So um, that's been a way to creatively look at existing properties. And I was recently contacted by a reporter at Cranes who had done some research on it. Apparently I've used that program more than anyone else in the city. I think that the program was designed to obviously provide additional much needed housing in the city and also to create affordability. And there's been some studies done that a lot of people haven't used it because adding these units is actually extremely costly, complicated, time-consuming, and really technical. And so I've done uh, I've done this at about six different projects, maybe a total of 12 to 14 units, and it's uh, you know it's challenging. And so I've done a lot of them, existing buildings with existing tenancy. That's been very challenging, as you can imagine, doing construction with people living around you. And then I've also done it in some new construction, empty buildings. But 
And the obvious benefit is that if you buy a building, for instance, the first project I did it on was a six unit in Wicker Park. I bought it for around a million dollars. Normally I would look at that and say that's about $166,000 a unit. But in this case, it was a million dollars for eight units. So I actually was paying $125,000 a unit, which in my mind for a gut renovation project in Wicker Park is a really good entry point. Now, granted, you know, two of those units, they're basically based basement, you know, accessory dwelling units, they're not as desirable. But still, when you take a step back and you look at it from that that standpoint, 125 a door is, is really attractive. So um, I've done a number of those and I found that if you, you know, are very thoughtful in the engineering and the construction and the design, you know, specifically, I've spent a lot of extra money doing what's called underpinning, where you basically take the existing structure, dig down and you basically rebuild the whole foundation wall. It's very costly. Uh, you can end up with eight to eight, potentially nine foot ceilings, and that doesn't actually feel as much like a, what I jokingly would call a dungeon. Yeah, so. and the, yeah, for the underpinning, they build like a almost like another foundational wall, like a mini yeah, wall. Yeah, yep, there. exactly. So it's just it's timely and it's costly and it's just. But it, I think it really creates a totally different feel. Where on some of these units, I mean, I have some accessory dwelling units. In one of my buildings, I recently completed one building. I'm starting the second adjacent building. I'm getting 250 to 275 a foot. Nice. So I'm hitting some pretty healthy yeah. rents on those. And good chunk pricing, three bed, two bath is in the high 2000s. So, you know, whereas the non-ADU right above it, I'm getting, let's say, 3400 for the same unit. So there's, there's a little bit of a discount. But, you know, as long as you have the proper drainage and infrastructure in place, you know, you don't want these things flooding because that can be a nightmare. And I've had that. And I know you've probably had that at some point. But uh, that, that's been another just, I think, avenue to make deals. Yeah. What are you lucrative. what are you looking for then? Let's say at the outset of a deal, you kind of already know the areas where you can do ADU units or. Yeah. So <laughs> it's sort of a funny plug. I, I have a software and a subscription. I think I told you it's called Cityscape. Yeah. And so it's basically, I think I pay $100 a month and um, they basically help aggregate data. So it's a place to go and there's like I don't know, 40 metrics. Like, can you have a cannabis license here? Who's the alderman? What's the lot? What's the zoning? What's the dot, 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 dot. And so this is one place to go where in one fall swoop, you can see, is it in the ADU pilot area? I believe that's being expanded if it hasn't been already, but I'll basically look to see, is it in that area? And thankfully the buildings I've done in Wicker Park, the buildings I've done in Logan, the buildings I've done in Westtown and the buildings I've done in Lakeview, those are all in that, that area. So I've proceeded with doing it. Um, it's just, after having done it, I don't know that I want to do it again, especially not in a building with residents because it's there's no easy way, as we were just discussing from the <laughs> podcast, to keep the peace. Yeah. And so, you know, I just this morning have someone doing framing in an occupied building and they're framing out an apartment in a basement. So I had uh, my property manager show up with a bunch of Starbucks gift cards. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we when I was doing that deal, I was talking about where we added a basement unit. This is not an ADU uh, deal. It's just you could just get as uh, I was just able to upzone it and add in another legal unit in the basement. But yeah, we were just joking before we were talking, like what's the worst thing that's happened so far. And we had, I don't know what our contract, the, some of these people doing construction, I don't know what they're thinking where we have people living there and to do the demo, they fired up some sort of gas powered machine. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what they were doing for exhausting it, but they, you know, started setting off like the, 
alarm, the carbon monoxide alarm. So it was like not a safe, yeah. uh, safe minute there. So, um, but yeah, so I got a phone call pretty fast once I started doing that. Um, yeah, I had to shut yeah. that down. And I've had similar issues, and you know, you're running heaters to keep the drywall from cracking, and then you have to properly vent that. And thankfully, I mean, every building I own, and I'm sure you own as well, you have carbon monoxide and smoke detectors for a reason, and you have all the life safety measures covered. But yeah, it's it's not not particularly pleasant. Um, another uh, interesting avenue I've explored is there was another zoning ordinance that changed where basically if you have a property that's located in an RM5 or higher residential zoning, you can now take advantage of a TOD benefit. So I was telling you one of the projects I recently acquired was an old Greystone mansion in East Lincoln Park where it was an RM5, about 100 feet from the Clark Street uh, bus stop. And I was basically able to get an administrative adjustment. So not a full zoning, not ADU, but I basically was able to take that building. I actually read about this deal. Uh, Cause it was such a low price per unit and someone was, well, I think the broker or someone was bragging and then I get to the end of the article and it was you. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <'Cause> <laughs> Another <it's>, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but no, I mean that, that was an example. This, this zoning ordinance has literally just rolled out and it basically said, if you're an RM5 and you hit this criteria, this criteria, this criteria, it'll work. And so a good friend of mine, broker I've done a lot of business with brought me the opportunity and he's like, Hey, remember how we were at a Cubs game? drinking beers two months ago and you were saying you were going to buy another building because of this criteria he's like i think i found one that fits right into that box what do you think i'm i think i was in hawaii at the time i just finished doing a half marathon or something crazy but i basically just dropped everything i'm like all right here's the contract let's go and thankfully i was able to navigate that process i think i was one of the first people to get through it so I had a fantastic zoning attorney. I told you, Liz Butler, she's just the best in the business, in my opinion, among others I've worked with. Um, but she basically helped me navigate that process. And I was upzoned, not upzoned, I was through the process of getting an administrative adjustment within something like 75 days. So wow. thankfully, I had a patient and understanding seller. And despite the fact that I thought I was getting a really, really good deal, um, they were willing to hang in there. Um, we're just great to work with. And now this old, beautiful Greystone, I'm completely changing the facade. And it's been fun because it was really, it made me engage with the neighbors. So I went to each neighbor, one of the neighbors in particular that's lived there for 30 years. They were excited that I was going to turn the building around, but I went to their home and sat with them for like three hours on a Saturday nice. and explained what I was doing, who I was, that I was here to save and restore a beautiful old building, not tear it down and to, you know, basically just help enhance the block so it's been funny having that experience of just being really really in the the weeds and grassroots of talking to the neighbors because the last thing i want to do is you know upset them and create any issues but uh so that it, by way of example that deal i think i paid about 120 125 a unit which is yeah know, super cheap 1990 there. pricing and uh but now because construction costs are higher i mean much more that deal even barely makes sense i'll probably put in about 125 to 150 a unit there nice and so just to unpack a lot of that like tod so there's a transit orientated development ordinance where if you're within a certain uh distance from either like a train stop or a bus stop you can uh get some you can get additional density and less parking or no parking depending yes. and, and yeah. so just to because you're by a clark street bus stop you're, and you have this, this high enough zone, you're able to get roped into that 
mm-hmm. being the TOD now. Yes, exactly. And the, the biggest change with the, the new law was basically you can now be in a residential district. So if you were previously needing, say, a B3-2 zoning for like something that's not really even commercial or you don't have commercial, so it's not like a commercial stretch, you can actually get the same TOD benefits from now being an RM5 or higher don't quote me, I'm not a zoning attorney, mm. but um, but you can basically get some of those same benefits. In this particular instance, there was no on-site parking, so I had to show some bike parking in the back, but this is a landlocked property, property mm. no real alley access, makes construction obviously challenging, but um, it's shaking out to be a really nice deal, and it's, above all else, it's, being a, it's a lot of fun to do the work on it. So, yeah, um, that's one thing that's been so, it's so funny with doing these deals in Phoenix, basically how much room there is to work like we're renovating a hundred unit deal there just park a dumpster in your parking lot like it's like so easy yeah, where, like for different. you there's there's no parking where do the workers park where's the dumpster <laughs> go where is this and that like there's everything so tight here where um one of the deals that we uh renovated same thing no parking and it's like well you just put the put the dumpster in the in the pay parking actually is what we were doing for the day oh really and then taking it out who yeah. paid for the parking if we did i don't know my contractors handling that but um, yeah no it's i have other yeah. projects i mean i'm doing a 50 unit right now in east lincoln park and there's six parking spaces for about 20 construction workers so it's um it's a lot of fun yeah that's something too that i thought was really interesting when i moved here a lot of the construction workers were showing up in cars yeah <laughs> i never saw that before like this if you're in Arizona like that obviously all driving trucks like yeah, so then that yeah. was more normal you know but anyways um so that because it's I mean parking's tight here and you know yeah some people are driving pretty far but well no that's very interesting I think what um and also you have this uh Ashland this development deal on Ashland that I, I know plenty about but tell us about that yeah no I would love to talk about that very proud of that project so basically I think last time I was on, I don't remember when exactly, but uh, we just started that. I'd gone through the fundraising process and that project's going really well. We're, we're more or less on time, close to being on budget. Uh, construction costs have, as you're aware, really spiked and it's really exciting to now see some of the costs coming down. For instance, I'm doing now a little bit of my own general contracting on some of my new projects and I'm starting to buy my own lumber and a board is now back to two, three dollars. So I think we're seeing things come down, supply chains normalizing, but uh, the project has gone really well. We're gonna uh, start the lease up process pretty much in the beginning of the next two weeks. I have a kickoff call right after this. How, how big is the deal? Oh, right, yes, <laughs> great question. So, so the, the, the building at 3821 North Ashland was basically a site that was about 15,000 square feet. Uh, we bought the plans and permit from another developer who had already been through entitlements because we really liked the deal and um, fit our goals and our criteria. And it's uh, about a overall $15 million build, um, 48 apartments, averaging around 800 square feet, largely concentrated to one bedrooms, um, some affordability required per the uh, affordable requirement ordinance, and um, just shaking out really nice. I mean, it was funny, something else we were talking about is that rents have gone up so much in Chicago that I believe will handily, you know, don't want to jinx myself, beat our rent forecast by worst case 10%, but maybe by 20%. And so let's say maybe that was a 6% unlevered return that has the ability to jump that into hopefully the low sevens. So while we're now looking at if we do keep it being in a higher interest rate environment, 
the revenues are really making it up. And I think a lot of people are seeing that on their projects. But um, yeah, overall, it's it's really exciting. We uh, Something we'd never done was we actually set up a construction cam. So we have basically time-lapse videos for marketing and for our investors to basically log in and see what's what's happening. And it's it's a beautiful building. I'm really pleased with the aesthetic. Right now, we're just doing our weekly meetings to get into the gritty of the finishes and all those other details, cabinets, tile, lighting, et cetera. And uh, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, it's a, it's a big one. <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, we're, we're entertaining, you know, selling it uh, at completion, but I certainly wouldn't mind hanging on to it. East, you know, it's West Lakeview, Southport Corridor, um, steps to Southport and uh, a very exciting project. And I'm excited to see what kind of cap rate we can hit on, on a potential exit. Yeah, I used to where I used to live. I drove by that basically every day. Yeah, uh, nearly. Have you home. seen it? Uh, it well, now living in the West Loop. Oh I'm yeah, never, yeah, yeah. I'm never up there, way, but yeah. yeah, where I used to be. Um, but yeah, I know that that at the time was like a big jump up in size and also new development. So maybe you had bought larger deals but not built it. So I know that was. Uh, it's a lot of pieces to put together. Yeah, I yeah, no, thankfully, I'm, I'm very blessed. I have a fantastic general contractor who's a partner in the deal. So he's super excited and motivated uh, to, to be successful. And, you know, you have to I'm used to being super involved in the general contracting. Like I'm there, you know, on some of these rehabs, I'll get a two by four and get my hands and knees and get a Sharpie out and start like playing with layouts. And this is just very different. It happens quickly and you got 48 units. 12 different layouts so it's hard to be on top of everything but you know really just having the right team having a great designer having great mill working people and other relationships of different subs to kind of work through problems uh, it's really it's gone pretty well and i'm excited to show it to you when it's done i think we'll have a model unit done by sometime in march of this year and then you know, hopefully have a certificate of occupancy late May for partial. And that's really the scariest part about some of these projects, as you know, whether it be a new construction or a rehab, is that you could, by all accounts, have a very clear path to having a CFO June 1 start signing leases, and then, you know, an inspector shows up and, no, oh, you forgot a well, fire strobe there. Um, you tell all those <laughs> people moving in June 1 they need to get a hotel. It's very stressful, but you also want to start leasing it up and have an assumption you're going to hit the, those deadlines. It's just, you, you know, you never know. You catch someone on the right day or not. So. Yeah, and it's real important here with the seasonality of the rental market to be. Oh, absolutely. To like to for where the you're you're more or less on a perfect schedule right now, where you have, you know you get your model <laughs> unit done in March, start renting for the summer. Yeah, that's when the rents are the highest. Well, and that's the thing. In the summer, is it either it's June one, July one, or August one. And you know that was one of the discussions we had with our leasing team was if you guys miss any of those dates, you might have ten percent lower revenue, and that's going to result to a commensurate drop in value if you do want to sell or refinance. So timing is everything. I've had other projects that I've, twenty unit. I've just recently completed the first phase of in Logan Square, and. During the inspection process, someone didn't like the height of the basement, and that delayed me three months. So a building that should have been delivered and potentially full cash out refi in September of 22 is now leasing into spring of 2023. And, oh, whoops, rates went up 100 basis points yeah. in that window. But, you know, as long as you finish it and you get it full and you have the people in there, um, all's well that ends well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a long-term long game. There you go. 
<laughs> Great minds. So, so yeah. that's funny. Yeah, that's where, right. It's hard to get hurt when you have like a longer term mindset. That's why I knew that's where you're going with it. Yeah, that, that's yeah, how exactly. I would think too. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. I know our youth uh, rehabs, when you do rehabs uh, and new construction, people will say the rehabs are actually harder. And it certainly that's what it seemed like when I've done rehabs where it's like you're you see a new building being built like around the corner and they're they're going faster because they don't need to open up the walls and be like, what are we got, got here? They're just building the wall and it's all just to the plan quicker. It seems like what's a what's it like for you? Well, that's the I mean, the thing is me doing a million to five million dollar rehab. I'll be more involved in the day to day. And in this instance, my partner's providing what's almost a white glove experience. So it's just different. It's funny. You can do five of these and, you know, try and dedicate an hour to three hours a week. Whereas some of these rehabs, if you really want to perfect the, the formula, you have to be there. I, I'm at the, the 50 unit I'm doing in East Lincoln Park. I'm there because I also live in the area and I actually enjoy it in a sort of sick way. Yeah, I like do. torturing myself. I like being there for a couple hours a day just to see the progress daily, make sure the framing and layouts just right, make sure the aesthetics just right. And I think that's something that people that have partnered with me like is that I'm obsessed with some of those details. It's the German engineering mindset and genetics a little bit, but um, it, yeah, you just, you never know. I mean, I'm doing a project right now where I'm, I think I told you previously, I'm about to have my general contractor's license and trying to add that vertical to my, my existing platform. And so I'm responsible for pouring, you know, new concrete foundation walls and whatnot. And I showed up with tape measure and we're off by about six inches. And I'm like, okay, do I need to take that out? Do I need, am I going to build a deck on top of it? And then someone and the city shows up and gets out a tape measure and it's off by a few inches and that's that's pretty scary whereas with a new build it's like well yeah like here it is this is okay like it's it's more exact uh and i think the rehab is just more of an art because also too i've started numerous rehabs and i'm sure you have as well where it's like i'm gonna save that i'm gonna save that i'm gonna save that and then you come back three months later and you're like god damn it just torch it all like i'm just gonna well that's the issue you once you start putting new things next to the old no matter how nice the old looks it looks old it looks bad now yeah like where we do that too where it's like okay that light actually looks great so does that fan and this whatever and then once you're done with the unit you're like why would we leave this old fan in here like what's the deal yeah. <laughs> but it's like yeah it looked great next to all the other old stuff but now that was in worse shape but now next to new stuff you're like why were we doing that well, and I think you see things the average renter or consumer doesn't, and that's why you're doing what you're doing, and I'm doing what I'm doing, is you just you have an eye for things, and you want things just so, and sometimes it's nice to remove yourself, but if you yeah. really care, you're, you're going to be there and make sure it gets done right. So, uh, But yeah, rehab's just the damnedest things can happen, and really, I think the, the worst part right now is just the time for a permit. So you can be doing everything by the book, but you'll just have a building sitting for months because you're waiting on a permit. So what is, what's that timeline like? I mean, it really varies. You know, it's funny. I renovated a historic mansion in East Lakeview, uh, and that permit took nine months. And the contractor I was working with was nervous about starting work without it, which is not technically allowed and you really shouldn't. But we've sat for nine months with a de demolished empty building, nine months. Thank thankfully rates were low at the time and we had a comfortable amount to carry, but I've seen more typically 60 to 90 days. It really depends. I mean, some of these buildings have a landmark hold, like the buildings I've done in Logan, 
Uh, and then this one in, in East Lincoln Park, it's it's orange. It's orange rated. <laughs> so, you know, let's, let's have someone at the city just sit and look at it for an extra couple of weeks and say, oh, this. OK, no, it's good. Um, <laughs> but anyways, no, that's why I started laughing where it's like <laughs> this seems this is uh, like could be really stressful for somebody. Yeah, no, it's, it's stressful. No, no. No, it, it can obviously be very stressful, but it's also a lot of fun. And you just feel like that you'll never get the permit and then you get a call. And it's like, hey, great news. We're in that final stage. I'm like, oh, so I'll have a permit tomorrow. No, you'll have it in two weeks. It's like, <laughs> but they like, literally someone just needs to pull a lever. But that's what's, you know, funny about Chicago. As much as I love it, it's just some of this stuff. It's just, you don't understand the, the, the labyrinth of permitting and the process and everything and i've heard anecdotally i mean i did one project up in wilmette and i think we got the building permit there in like five days and it was a big build it was 35 40,000 square foot with underground structured parking wow uh, it, so i've just heard i don't know if you've had this experience in other markets you've been in where you, the inspector shows up the next day like, <laughs> yeah they do in they, in the phoenix market they do yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it's always and same thing with evictions, where it's like, oh wow, we need to evict someone. How long is that going to take? And like, I don't know, like a week, maybe two. If we get like bad timing, where it's crazy, they're out in the same month you started. Funny thing I read to get a little bit off topic was that Chicago is historically one of the bigger and better rental markets because a percentage of total, there's so many renters. But it's also the most renter friendly and least landlord friendly, and that's kind of obvious to you and I, but. It just there's they make it challenging i mean if you get a bad renter or bad credit in there i mean you're you're gonna have to strike a deal there's no property rights for the landlord um but yeah i know, think just, that that um, in some markets though that creates uh it's actually like a at the end of the day i think right that creates a lot of headaches for the landlord what you're talking about but in some of these places that makes the values higher because there's less development like why are the prices so high in San Francisco rent control and you can't go over a certain height. That's why, like, yeah. it's not that complicated. You're point. restricting the units and you're making everything a hassle. Uh, all the old buildings have rent control. So those units are almost like not in the marketplace. If I was living in a 1970s building in San Francisco paying 800 bucks, I'd probably be planning my entire life around how do I not mess up my $800 deal? <laughs> and then I'd stay forever. You know, like yeah. hold me back basically. Yeah. But then, let's say me and you move to San Francisco and we want to pick out an apartment. We only can pick from the non rent control ones. Uh -huh. So that's why the price is so high. Yeah. And then, so all these extra, the, all the red tape, all these restrictions that depending on what it is actually makes it sometimes better for the landlord in a weird way where like, that's why the price is so high and appreciation has been so high there. Mm -hmm. Um, makes it a nightmare running it, obviously dealing with all this. But, um, if you could just get a permit in a day, maybe there'd be more buildings here. Well, and that's, you know, it's funny. People talk about just Chicago, the out-migration, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket. And it's funny. I think in the good areas, the buildings are being very well absorbed. And I think construction inevitably as a result of higher interest rates is going to come down. And it is coming down because people that had projects on the books at, you know, they were assuming a four and a half, five percent rate. Now they're at six or higher or high fives, even at like the most aggressive pricing. You know, a lot of those are not going to get done. I think it's just going to further exacerbate the the supply issue of having a lack of affordable housing. That's why I think it's it's it has been nice to see some positive moves by leadership in Chicago and City Hall that basically have said, we're going to let if you got a spare space in your building, make it a unit. If you got, you know, a 
property that meets this criteria, we're going to allow you to add density, like the building I did in East Lincoln Park, the seven unit. You're going to add density without going through a 90 to 180 day to 360 day neighborhood process, which I think is important because we're all neighbors and we want to be good neighbors. We want to understand what's being built and what's happening in our community. But, you know, it's it really varies. And that's why certain neighborhoods in Chicago just haven't seen any new supply. Just, yeah, the the hurdles, the hoops. Um, and Speaking so, of the city, we might. I think we, if you heard that chainsaw, we got the our taxpayer dollars hard at work. Yeah. Somebody trimming the trees here. So does that Let's, mean there's there's four guys trimming one branch, <laughs> and three of them are here to? to you watch. need you need the watchers. <laughs> you need the, the supervisors. <laughs> Joking, someone's, of yeah, someone's got to make sure that the the truck doesn't get stolen. Yeah, in exactly, Chicago. exactly. So um, that's interesting. I mean, what do you got any thoughts around mindset or anything that maybe you think about differently? at this point, like compared to when you first started out or? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, everyone's journey is is special and different. And, um, you know, something we talked about, I remember you were at this point in your career where all of a sudden just a lot of things clicked and it was with you starting, you know, your new company and having a lot of other exciting transitions in your life. And all of a sudden, you know, you did a hockey stick, you know, you, you were at maybe 90%, very, very high functioning and you, I think, are, very impressed you're tapping into that next 10 Got to the last hundred <laughs> you're right no i mean and that's the thing it's hard to break through that because you know when you get to that that little extra then you things really you sort of surprise yourself so like for me it was just having not done some of these larger transactions and then just sort of getting in the mindset of it it's the same thing and if you're good at managing expectations and relationships and you're careful and you're judicious you know you, I'm sure you're at the same place where you just look back and you're like, why didn't I do fewer, bigger deals? And like, yeah, it's know, easy like to not, you know, but you know, you, you have your whole life and career ahead of you to, to do that. And it's better to figure that out sooner. But I think that's, you know, for me, as I was saying earlier, um, just breaking out of the mindset and just realizing it's the same thing. And it's really about your brand and your reputation. And if you perform well at one level, then, you know, add a zero, double, triple, quadruple it. It's more or less the same principle. Yeah. The only thing I've really noticed on bigger deals is actually the two things. Usually the people working on them. So like the, let's say the lender's attorney or even the, so the lender, just kind of everybody, the broker, like they're actually better at their jobs. Like they're more skilled. They're in the higher price deals. So in a weird way, like that makes it easier. Like everyone's like a, a player, mm -hmm. you know, like if you're buying a, a small deal, who knows like how good the seller's attorney is. But if you're buying like a $30 million deal, like the seller will have a good attorney. Mm -hmm. So that that's been one. And then the deals, all the timelines are longer. So like if let's say when I bought that six unit and did some light renovations in the six units and added the unit in the basement, I was done in like six months with all that, mm -hmm. you know, give or take. And I applied for my permit while I was buying it, you know, like your example um, as well. So like that deal was done in, you know, six to nine months, where if you're buying a hundred unit, I mean, to be done in six to nine months, you gotta be, you'd be renovating like 15, 20 units a month. Like it's not possible mm -hmm. now. So now your renovation that it's when you could just blow through there and I'll just, and all the leases, the six of them at one time, and just knock it all out in the summer. We'll re-rent it by August. It's easy peasy. Well, if you're buying a hundred unit, you can't do that. And it's like a three-year odyssey of rent, you know, renovating a lot. And then yeah. you get started uh, late on like doing, let's say, the common area amenities or your 
pool renovation or the club. Like there's just so much to do. Like yeah. that's, that's been the only difference. It's not like you can't do it. It's just like, it's just been, there's just, a, there's more stuff to do. So it's mm -hmm. not like this can be a six month deal now. Um, and then you got to think, uh, there's almost more thought around sequencing, like, okay, you're finishing units, but your exterior still looks like junk. You're not going to like get that rent bump you thought. Mm -hmm. So you got to be like sort of strategic with what you start, I guess. That's been what I've learned. Yeah. So. Well, and it's, it, it's funny because I've enjoyed hearing about working on more garden properties where you have, like you said, in Arizona, you have space, whereas here there, you know, the, the front curb appeal is a $10,000 job. Like, do you have a shrubs <laughs> right. have some pavers it's not creating this whole exterior experience so that's that's obviously a little bit different but, yeah like uh, on one deal we're like already spent like a quarter million on the outside we're not done like a 100 grand repainted the whole building 150 on landscaping these are round numbers but yeah then we yeah. gotta uh make the pool deck look nicer get yeah pool furniture and then we're done well and that's what's funny i mean executing a good deal here i mean in my mind a lot of that comes down to timing and i've bought buildings in may and basically just sat on it even empty with a permit in hand and said let's wait because i know this particular crew is really fast and i don't want to be delivering units with a fully funded loan in january so right. let's just let's take a take a take a beat here and let's wait and so it's funny i have a project like that now down by uic and uh we bought it in april i was getting married at the time not an excuse to drop a ball but we just I left for my honeymoon and we just started day one. And it's like, oh, perfect. February, bring those units on <laughs> in a student market. So, yeah, I mean, timing is really everything. And that's the thing. I mean, the ideal timeline in Chicago, in my mind, is you buy it between September, eh, <laughs> July, August. I guess that doesn't really matter. It depends on what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, right. And it depends when you're getting your permit and when your lease is in. Because, I mean, yeah. your, your timing assumes the building's almost empty. Like, you might need to buy it in the spring, get those leases to end at a time you want, like in the fall, then start, you know. I mean, yeah. Depends on the deal. Funny, funny concept I'd like to introduce to you that I learned from a, a friend of mine who's a fantastic broker and another really brilliant entrepreneur in the real estate world. He he described to me when you're doing a repositioning and you have a bunch of tenants and you have to cut deals to move them around the property into other units or, you know, you need to do work in their unit or they you just have to figure something out to move the, the pieces on the chessboard. He calls that a mini deal. So we bought a, a building in East Lincoln Park and there were 20 occupied units out of 50. And everyone knew the building was being sold. It was been a long drawn out arduous process of marketing. I mean, talking nine months and people were staying because the rent was very low. And, um, you know, we worked, we believe in working with the residents and helping them with relocation and giving them bonuses to help just help their situation because we, we can, we feel that's the right thing to do. But we did 20 mini deals and we were able to basically buy a 50 unit building completely vacant and start the renovation within seven days of closing. And because we did that, I'm very optimistic. We can basically condense the, the delivery of 50 unit full gut renovation from an October acquisition to a June delivery and lease up, which is kind of wild. Yeah, that's <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, hitting that, hitting June one, July one versus hitting November one, it's like that really changes your economics because yeah. you know you might have a three year interest only loan, and if you can turn around a project in nine months and still enjoy twenty seven, twenty eight months of interest only, that really 
changes things. Also, your interest reserve is you use half of it. So, right. Well, and, and most importantly, you deliver the units in the peak rental season, and yeah. you have a way higher value, and everything starts at the right time. And does Arizona have the same seasonality? Uh, they have some seasonality, but it's it's totally different. Their peak rental season would be January to May. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So then, and then it and because it gets real hot in the summer, so there is a mm -hmm. slowdown there. They they say. And then, um, and then you get into like schools already started in holidays. Mm -hmm. So, but it's not anywhere close to like here where rents could be, I mean, on like a lot of my deals, I'd say depends on how big the unit is, the bigger the unit, the worse, the, the bigger the drop in Chicago. Uh, but I mean, yeah, you miss between the May and September time rents are 10 to 20% lower. Yeah. Or you got offer concessions and I mean, you kick the can down the road, but that's not ideal. And so it's. It's funny even working on new projects and just trying to tee up like, okay, if it's going to take 15 months to build and I want to deliver May 1, let's reverse engineer that. We may own the site and I mean, it's unfortunate when you miss the window to break ground, but you just timing is everything really. And so, um, you know, and no one knows the future of interest rates. And so that's why there's obviously a good amount of risk there, especially on the new builds. But. Yeah. And then I guess to back up, I one thing I did want to, hear about was the AD, ADU deals and I didn't I don't know if we covered everything there but just to oh, kind of yeah of course reiterate like so this the cityscape it's called oh yeah I, right I, I follow a, them on Twitter a, so then yeah that I, was a plug I, I, and I, I'm, they, I'm a huge fan of that group because they lobby for density and they lobby for new housing and they're just they're a great group of guys um uh, it was founded by a gentleman named Steve Vance and he's a great guy uh, I've gotten to know him over the years and so I use that tool to basically go in and um, basically put an address in. It'll just shoot out distance to the bus line, distance to the train. Um, I mean, there's other places to get this, but, you know, you go to six websites, you go to one. Um, but then let's say just for ADU. Yeah. So you go there. It says that it's in the pilot program. Yeah. What, then what's the next? Like, let's maybe go through kind of the oh, ADU yeah, yeah, steps, yeah, of course. actually. So, so ADU is only permitted, I believe, in an RT4 zoning. There's like a certain range of residential zoning. So, for instance, I do not believe it is allowed in the lowest residential zoning designation, which is RS. But again, they've changed the rules to make it so more people do it because they realize that not a lot of people have done it or been able to figure it out. So basically with the ADU, it'll look at, is it in the designated zone? And I know that's being revisited and potentially expanded, but is it in the zone? And it basically creates this checklist that says it's in, it's in the zone. Yes. Okay. Next step. It is this type of zoning. It's an RT4 qualified. Yes. Um, these are other criterias that are met. I mean, that's really the main criteria. And then you just have to look at the building. Can you physically do it? Is there an empty basement? Is there, if it's three or four dwelling units, more or less, is there a place in back to build a coach house? I mean, I'm looking at helping some of my investors build coach houses behind their buildings, just more or less because it's fun and I want to figure it out. And unfortunately, the cost of that is is prohibitive. So I think there's only been like a handful of them built. But on a bigger scale doing this, what I'm describing, I mean, I looked at and almost bought a 30 unit that had like six empty spaces in it where I could have added six units and done it pretty well. Um, but yeah, so this program will basically show if it if it qualifies. And for instance, if it's if it's for whatever reason a residential building, but in a B zoning, it'll say does not qualify, and here's why. So it, it helps filter that. And I mean, I've certainly have gotten a lot of value out of it. 
and value out of it and then I'll also use it for looking at other sites so it's it's pretty clever it's just it's layering in all this different data and putting it in one place it's not to say you couldn't go out and find it but good luck going to the city of chicago website and finding like a map or a program or anything that's user friendly and that's basically the value and service that um that this website provides and it's pretty cool yeah i mean so if that's what you're doing that's what you want to do that's it's really helpful and so the steps though we you like for starters find out if it makes sense just yeah. add this at this uh plugin or, or app will make that easy but then you physically need to be really the deals that are penciling like it, you're adding the unit within an existing building to to build an extra unit in a coach house building an entire structure is, is not penciled it's been too expensive i think it's very challenging because you can only build i think up to seven or eight hundred square feet and so again i'm, I'm helping some of my partners and, and friends just figure it out line up an architect an architect i usually know or have worked with and they're creating plans, but it's just, it's not that simple. You know, when you're doing a, the, the rear coach house, which I've never really done just because I haven't had occasion to do it. Um, I've always opted to do the unit in the, the basement because it's just, I can potentially end up with a much bigger unit and you just need to make sure the return on cost is there. So for instance, one of them that I did in my, the second building I ever bought, I was able to, for let's say around $200,000, dollars I was able to create a three bedroom, three bath and I'm running for around 40,000 a year. That makes sense. But if I was spending 180 grand and creating a little studio that I'm gonna rent for 1,200, like, that's a little more challenging. So it kind of depends on what you wanna do. I think the coach house is more designed as like an ancillary space. For instance, I think it could be like a good space for like a nanny or an in-law. Or yeah, on like a single family situation. Yeah, on a single but family But I don't think situation. it would make sense on a rental. No, I don't. I think it barely makes any sense. Um, but I well, think if adding, you want to have your like mother-in-law well, yeah, living yeah, in it's a different more, building, yeah, like that, yeah. you know, if, if you own a nice money's home, only so much. Exactly. You know? If you own a nice home, I think it makes a lot of sense. But unfortunately, they limit the size and, you know, well-intentioned. I just don't think it's as effective or successful as they think. But what I like about it is like an example for someone young getting started. Here's here's an example of how I think you could kill it. You go in the MLS and you find a three unit, but ideally you find a four unit. And I'll give you an example. I was this close to buying a four unit building at Southport in Belmont. It was on the MLS. I have no idea why it didn't sell quicker, but it was the opportunity to buy a four unit that was in decent shape and it had an unfinished attic, unfinished basement, four units, two front, two back, kind of back to back, like one of my other properties. And uh, I was able to hypothetically, had I bought it, take a four unit that I could have bought for about $800,000. So like a not an outlandish entry point, um, price point to get in, but now divide 800 grand by five. It's in Lakeview. Four of the units probably could do with a cosmetic rehab. But for another 200 grand, I could basically dig out the basement and potentially put in an English garden apartment, meaning it's, I mean, it's an ADU, but it's like not total subterranean. It's got right, right. light and vent that's relatively high. Um, for 200 grand, add a unit that maybe could rent out for, again, you know, 30 to $40,000 a year, but also four unit buildings are sometimes not as sought after as five unit buildings, because as you know, five unit building can get, uh, more commercial oriented financing. And so if you bought this and you went from a four unit to a five unit, you can all of a sudden get an agency loan, non-recourse. Uh, all of a sudden you're getting much more attractive financing terms. 
And, you know, I think also, too, when you're out looking at and identifying that type of property and opportunity, a lot of people rule those out. And so here, I, I mean, this particular property, it was literally on Southport in Belmont, on Belmont. It was in a beautiful building. It was framed, but you could make it nice. And I had penciled that out to be potentially an, an 8% unlevered return and a full cash out refi within 12 months. That's a good deal. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you can't do 10 of those a year because it would be exhausting and also... Do you vacate the building? What do you do? But um, I that building also could have had a coach house. And I'm like, well, the coach house could get this much. This unit can get this much. And um, so it's just I've looked at buying and doing properties like this because they're like in this sort of little weird area where they're too small for someone a little more sophisticated that's searching the MLS or whatever for five units and up. And they're, you know, they're just uh, they're not too big necessarily for people people just don't know about well there's it. too many steps for someone starting out like i mean i don't know if you have this experience where um when you're first starting out you might walk into like a frame building so this this like everywhere else would be a normal building so not a brick building when you say frame and there's like so much to do in it it's almost like overwhelming the floors aren't straight and it's like you don't even know where to begin I don't know. That's how yeah, I that's how I yeah, felt when yeah. I was starting out. Where now it's the opposite, where it's like you know how to fix everything. We're like, yeah, you can just take that out, switch a joist. Like where you could just you just at least know what's available to you. So it feels easy now. We're like, yeah, unlevered return. You just renovate the whole thing, get the ADU approved, build the unit. But like the the most of those steps they don't know how to do. Yeah, that, that's a good point, actually. It's funny. I I recently was with a, a young man who wanted to network and i'm like wow you're frighteningly like me 15 years ago i really like you i want to mentor you and uh it's funny because we went through a building together i barely you know he just found me on linkedin saw an article i was in or something and i ended up meeting with them and we really hit it off and you know it's funny that's how friendships and business relationships get started um but it was funny because we went through a building together that was being listed by a friend of mine and I was aware of it, I had seen it, and I went through it, and someone else had already done the copper, someone else had put in central heating cooling, someone else had put in laundry. The finishes weren't amazing, but that to me is an entry-level type opportunity. It's like, all right, I can go in and hypothetically paint it myself, or do like yeah. things you even physically as human can do, that's a lot less daunting and probably a better place to start. I mean, you obviously have done this where you're adding a unit or you're digging or whatever. And yeah, that's, that's a little freaky. Yeah. I mean, really, because you're dealing with structural and maybe you don't have the right contractor and that, that I think is daunting. And so maybe doing an ADU isn't the best place. To well, start but I mean, I'm just in terms of the steps. So you, you need to identify where ADUs are allowed. You need to, uh, like it physically needs to be able to fit in the building. Yeah, exactly. So you need, you need the ceiling height to be, pretty high obviously you can dig down the basement at some height but not much because when you put a new concrete floor it's a it's bigger it's thicker than the old floor just the way we're doing concrete now right where we're doing this more right. gravel yeah. and then it's thicker or something right so you think you can dig the basement down you don't get as much height as you thought um but like that's what's like a minimum basement height in your mind i think eight feet is great seven six feels a little cramped but the minimum i think per code is probably seven three but I'm going through this exercise right now uh, on a unit I'm doing in, in Lakeview where um, I opted to spend an extra 25 grand to underpin an 800 square foot unit because I'm like, well, I've had it forever. I just want to do it. I want to see how it goes. So I just did it. And it was a lot of work and required a structural engineer. And the structural engineer took three months to turn plans. 
it just added a lot of time and hassle. Um, funny side note is whenever I buy a building I'm gonna rehab, one of the first things I do during due diligence, if I can get away with it, meaning the seller authorizes it, is I'll send my concrete subcontractor out with a sledgehammer and a shovel, and we'll make some exploratory holes, see what we have. Because then I can appropriately okay. budget it. For, for what the, the For what the footing like. is, yeah. Okay. And you basically just you know, you sledgehammer and crack it open and dig a little bit. And, <laughs> and you, you know, and so I've done this. I mean, I've... Pre-closing, you know, you need to tell them what's going on or have a, some sort of permission that if you don't close, you'll restore it. But it's a nice way to see, understand, budget, and then implement it into your your, your plans so that you don't deal with what I dealt with at another project where I got delayed for three months because the basement was six inches too deep, not yeah. following the plans. It just depends on what kind of day you catch that that inspector on. So, but yeah, it needs to be physically there space-wise, yeah. and then it's going to need a pencil where... Uh, from like what the rents need to be high enough. So these units where they're just almost like fully below grade feel, have a feel like that, those aren't going to get that higher rents. You need to have some sort of real windows, even if it's just like along the walkway in between the building. Like they need, yeah, in terms of like from like a rentability, yeah, yeah, yeah. and not and from like the zone, the building code. Yeah. Just if you need to, because uh, if it's going to cost 200 grand, and that sounds like a crazy amount of money to most people, but it's you're spending so much money potentially adding windows, you're digging out the basement, you're putting new concrete floor down. Also, you need to do new drain tile and an ejector pump and some pump and yeah, all this extra stuff that goes in. Mm -hmm. You might have broke your sewer line for the building when you're digging out the basement. So you might, or your sewer might have been broken. And now you're looking at it and going, well, I can't leave my broken sewer here. It was working before when it was just going into the ground, but now I need to fix it. Like, so that's how it can be 200 grand because you're spending I don't know, 50 grand out of the gate just doing all that, that oh, stuff yeah. I just mentioned. <laughs> it's, so. it's wild. But now the other the thing I would say conversely to that is if you're in a high value per unit, high rental area per unit, you know, per foot or chunk price, I mean, you do the math and the one I'm adding now where I'm general contracting myself to keep things really lean and just try it, see how it goes. Uh, that I'm doing for about $180,000, give or take. And I uh, anticipate getting... Hopefully around 2,400. So 2,400. Let's say that annualizes to 30,000. Multiply that by 12. Right. 12 multiple Lakeview. Maybe it could even be higher. So 12 times that. That's 360. 360. Yes. We're numbers guys. Okay. I mean, I'm a little slow witted today, but um, so 360 on 180. Okay, like that, you know, that, and that's bankable. yeah, no, that makes that's sense. Yeah, cash flow or it's a legal unit. Yeah, you can legal go refi unit. on that. Yeah, or, exactly. And so then all of a sudden you can go in and I think I told you I had that building. I told you on our first podcast where I bought a four flat for under six hundred grand, and then I found an obscure city record that actually said actually it's six units. And so for two hundred fifty grand, I added two apartments there, and then I somehow wound up with like a $2 million valuation and a million five loan on it, you know, after a couple of years. There so, you go. But, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results, as we say. Right. You do better on the next one. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. We'll, uh, be all in for, for uh, no, just kidding. But yeah, that's how did, so you met that one guy you were mentoring on LinkedIn. How did we meet? You remember? So it's funny. We met because I was at Wells Fargo and you were working for a real estate company that was very big and you were basically like the really credible part of the team. Not that I don't think oh. anyone else wasn't, <laughs> but people, some of my coworkers were like, yeah, we're working with this guy that went to Madison. He's really young. And, uh, 
I had found out what you were doing, and then I think I met you at, we were on a boat for the Wisconsin Alumni Association. There's some event, and we kind of hit it off. And then I just checked in with you and said, hey, I'm looking at certain deals. How do you do it? And you know, you're like, oh, it's real simple. I just do this. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. And then, like, you know, one thing led to another, and you moved here, and, you know, we became better friends and got to know each other really well. And uh, that's my recollection. I don't know if you remember it differently or remember it all. I don't remember the Wells Fargo where I was an employee part. You I weren't an employee at Wells Fargo. You were... I oh. was working, I'm sorry, I was working at Wells Fargo and you were working for a developer that was a prospect or a client. That's what I'm saying. I don't remember that Wells Fargo relationship. I remember. I think there was one meeting. Yeah. And then okay. I knew who you were and then I don't really know how to connect the remaining dots, but somehow I followed up with you and said, I think what you're doing is really interesting. Would you, did you expand on that? And, you know, I was just. And that's what's funny though about this business is when you know who people are and you're willing to talk. I'm I'm happy to talk to anyone. It's fun. Like I like I like sharing my passion. And the more I'm like excited about it, the more people want to do deals with me. And yeah. More more and more begets more. So also one thing as a tip, if you're gonna ask somebody a question, don't ask. Can I ask a question? I get sent messages all on LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. Can I ask you a question? Ask. Well, just you should have just asked the question. Like I would, I'm, I would like to, to respond to your question, but if I have to then say yes, and then like it's like it's another step. Now it's making friction for me. Where just if you need to ask someone a yeah. question, ask them a question. You're you're you have you're a busy guy. You so, have a lot like, going on. Yeah, I get a lot of those messages. Like, can I ask a question? Well, I'm, I'm less likely to respond to that. If you just ask a question, I'm, I'll respond. Well, embarrassingly enough, I wasn't on LinkedIn or actually using it for about a year and a half. My wife finally went on and was like, "Hey, like you." Do you know all these people want to like talk to you? I, I'm just, you get overwhelmed and you sort of avoid it. It's like, like I don't use Facebook. I don't, I don't know. Not my, yeah. My shtick, but if you log in, if you don't log into LinkedIn for a while, it's like, you, it's like everything's like blinking and there's, uh, yeah, there's too many messages. Yeah. Well, like they say, manage your reputation or someone else will for you. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's, I remember that. What did, uh, that, that is what I remember for how we met as mm -hmm. well. What did I tell you for how I was doing the deals? Ah, uh, you you just basically said, yeah, we just do this real simple structure, and I get twenty percent, and that's that. I'm like, wow, okay, how do I get that? <laughs> and, uh, but you explained the value proposition, and it really helped me think about things differently and how you have a value prop. And you know, it's funny, it's something we've talked about extensively, and I look forward to discussing further after uh, after this uh, lunch is that what is equitable and what is fair and what is market really depends on how you want to align interests. You know, that's a whole nother topic, but I traditionally have tried to do really simple equity structures because I believe that there's a way to better align interests. And if you have prefs and waterfalls and all these triggers that basically get you as the developer to the promote, as it's known, where you get like extra percentage income or profit, et cetera, you're gonna do everything you can just to get to that point. And that might mean that maybe a building can sell for more money in two years or something else could be different. You're gonna you're gonna race to that finish line as quickly as possible. Whereas maybe maybe you want to keep a building. Yeah. You know? And so and to unpack what you're saying, like that the uh, probably the most common structure for like uh someone getting paid that has investors is you have a you they invest money, then they they get a preferred return. So there's a determined percentage. They get the first that percent of the return. They get their money back, and then they start splitting disproportionately. And like let's say a normal structure would be eight percent pref return of capital, and start splitting like seventy thirty or eighty twenty. Then maybe 
Once it gets to another higher return, then there's a bigger split to the sponsor. Anyways, so that's that's all well and good. But then like then the sponsor, the person with the deal goes, okay, I don't get paid till we sell. I need to charge a fee to buy it then. So then we got an acquisition fee. And all I would like to also I need a fee to run it, asset management fee. I need a fee to property manage it, property management fee. And so you're kind of you that's the most common structure. And what you're talking about is I had an individual who you would explain that and it's like, well, that is like really complicated. And also, so you just like buy a deal and make money day one. Like that's how he took that structure. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and me, I'm thinking is like, I would get paid at the end. Like, okay. Like that's, so what we settled on was just, let's just split 80, 20 at the outset. Um, I do the work, you put in the money, uh, you get the money back when we sell. Uh, no fees. So I do all the work to buy it and run it and I'll make 20% of whatever the deal makes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like at the time that seems too simple. But when you talk to just a regular person who isn't in this, I need a promote and or sorry, I need a preferred return and you'll charge your fees. And um, it's interesting when you have like a fresh lens. That's why we ended up in that structure was more like the investors were asking for it. Mm-hmm. And the other people that I know that have ended up doing something similar it's the investors were asking for it. They were saying like, this is a nice property and you're saying we need to sell it, but we should just keep it. But it's, but then you're like, what it's, a, we it's set a, it up where you're basically forcing me to sell it. Yeah. Cause a, it, yeah. So that's, that's why we ended up on that. And what's, what's interesting where I'm going with this is sure. If your partner is Blackstone or a private equity company, you can ignore this. They're going to they're going to do this one structure. It's what everybody does. But if it's an individual, you can have a talk like this and go, well, actually, we want to own this property for five years. And then maybe we want to do a 1031 and buy another one, buy a bigger one. So why would we set this up where you, I'm getting uh, I need to wait to sell to get anything. And and then you're be motivating me to sell. Why don't we just do something simple split? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll put in five percent of the equity and then we'll split 80, 20 or something. Mm-hmm. Something simple. And then what happens is like those deals I told you, this would have been in 2009, we were talking probably 2010. I still own almost all those buildings because there's no gun to my head to sell. Yeah, or we (laughs) did sell them. Like one of the deals I owned when we would have been talking was an office building. We put 900 grand down. We uh, realized it was a deal we wanted to sell. We sold it four or five years later. We doubled our money. Uh, It was like a, like a, a normal deal. And instead of just like, all right, wash our hands, we're done, time to get my promote. We did a 1031 into a bigger deal. We doubled our, we doubled what we had already doubled in the next one, so we 4 x our money by then. And then we sold that as well, and then bought another two big shopping centers. And now, so we started out, we bought a $4 million office building. With the same money, we own $18 million of shopping centers. And every year, the cash flow and the loan pay down on that is 800 something thousand. So just on like a simple, simple guy math, it's like we almost make 100% a year now with no appreciation. Can I ask you a question? That yeah. was meant to be a joke. <laughs> so I didn't answer. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I can't help myself. Uh, so yeah, no, um, can I invest with you? It yeah. sounds like I'm just, God, it would be a lot less stressful. It would if be. I wanted to, would I, is there an email or I'm just, I'm just yeah, no, I know everyone, anyone listening to this knows where to go. Yeah, yeah, Brennaman.com yeah. slash invest. Okay. But yeah, that, uh, how about, but so, so you're guaranteeing that if I invested 800 grand, I basically make a hundred percent annualized return. If we just, if you were in that deal, you know, <laughs> this and the, the next one, we'll see, but yeah, yeah. be sure to watch the disclaimer at the end of the episode yeah, uh, right. for uh, what, right. what we can. Yeah. But yeah. so point being, 
in a way it's like, because we had a simple structure where somebody would have said like, Oh, you're giving 20%. Uh, what if the deal, cause the downside to just, let's say splitting 80, 20 is let's say the deal made 5% total like per year. And I still would have got 20. So then your return would have been 4% a year. And that's not a good deal. Where if you had the pref to protect you, you would have got the whole 5%. I would have only got my fees. But so there is a downside to like the splitting straight up, let's say 80, 20 or something. But like, there's also a lot of potential upside in mm -hmm. that example where we now have rolled this money over. And you know what we're going to do once we own these shopping centers for 10 years? We, we have a 10 year loan at a three and a quarter percent interest rate. So <laughs> we, and also it's retail. So we bought them at like mid six caps. This is in 2019. Um, once our loan's over, you know what we're going to do? It's going to be the same thing. Rinse and repeat. It's like, oh, this, this eight and $9 million building we bought, they're worth 13, 14 now. We paid our loans down to 5 million and we'll wow. be rolling our $20 million into something. Burnham so. blueprint right there, baby. <laughs> so, all right. How do people get in touch with you if they want the, the Gabe blueprint? Uh, the Gabe <laughs> blueprint. Well, uh, let's see here. Uh, go on to my website. It's uh, uh, www.base3co.com. I have a simple email, Gabe, at base3co, B-A-S-E, number 3co.com, or I'm on LinkedIn. But just email me because yeah. I don't ever check that. But, uh, yeah, um, that, that would be the best way to reach me if you wanted to talk awesome. or anything else. So. Well, you crushed it, Gabe. Thanks for coming out. Hey, Appreciate thanks it, for having me. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.